what does entitlements really mean? Help define uh, that for the audience. Different people use the term differently to mean different levels of permitting. But typically, entitlements is a term that basically says, hey, if you have a parcel of land and it's quote-unquote entitled or it has entitlements, that means is it effectively ready for construction. Presumably, you can go get a construction loan and you can go build that project. So it's a permitted project. And um, I always think about it as there are three levels of entitlements typically. There's planning entitlements, engineering entitlements, and I consider construction permitting a type of entitlements. Zoning, if you had to rezone the property from residential to multifamily, that needs to be done before you get your planning entitlements, correct? Absolutely. Well, typically many municipalities, counties have a future and use map. It's a map of the jurisdiction identifying which areas are supposed to be from now for the next 20 years, how the area will develop or stay undeveloped, for example. So future land might indicate that, hey, the city has made a sort of a decision with consultation with residents and other stakeholders that a particular area is zoned residential, whereas an adjacent area is zoned office industrial. So that's a specific zone in there. Currently, we're working on four subdivisions, pretty much uh, over 500 units. Our focus personally right now is townhome projects. And part of our goal is to encourage home ownership, help that American dream of home ownership. And we're a green workforce housing developer. So we say green because we try to be energy efficient and water efficient. We try to be climate resilient, weather resilient. All these sort of things that are sort of buzzwords we were working on for last four or five years. But a lot of people don't realize Affordable housing is not a situation which is just means very low income people. These are professional folks today, middle income America that can no longer own in a home. These are regular law abiding, good people that would like to come live in your neighborhood. Okay, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, we got a gem for you guys. We have Vas Prasad. And the reason why I'm so excited to have Vas on the podcast today is because he is a master. Like, we'll talk about decades of experience, getting entitlements, um, engineering background, working with a bunch of ar- architects, and he really knows his stuff. So if you ever, ever want to become a developer, this part of the process all the feasibility, all the due diligence stuff, working with the city and the government and the teams, you need to really pay attention. So Vast, man, welcome to the show. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being here, man. How are you doing today, dude? Kent, it's great to be here. Uh, I think you're you're uh, very generous in, in uh, your introduction there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am just, honestly, I'm just a regular person that saw a problem in my, in my community, in my neighborhood in the u.s at large and even though i you know there are people you know way more experienced and you know more funded and all that sort of stuff i just felt compelled to go take action and do something about it so uh you know i'm i'm not here to proclaim that uh i am any different to any any of your listeners i'm just a regular person that chose to keep keep trying and we've been wow. trying for a while now. Yep. Simple. Real simple. 
Yeah. Thanks for coming back down to earth for a little <laughs> bit for us so we can, you know, be surrounded by your energy and your aura and your greatness. So let's talk a little bit about just Likewise. how you even got started into real estate development. Just give a little bit of background there um, in like two minutes. How did you even get, Man, get how did I space? become a, a real estate developer is is really it's it's really probably not you know the most amazing story or anything like that it's just i was a civil engineering consultant so i guess that's a good start um and i was i was helping primarily land developers what i did most of the time was a traffic engineer and i helped land developers get entitlements for their projects uh, we were doing many different traffic impact studies and planning related things and um you know definitely i was working on a lot of you know, land development projects, subdivisions, shopping centers, um, Burger Kings, whatever have you. And, um, but at heart, I also was a real estate buff, if you will. I really liked real estate. It was a big passion of mine. I liked building, constructing. Uh, that's why I became a civil engineer in the first place. And, you know, over time, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I saw deficiencies in the marketplace. I saw that many developers were not addressing this looming affordability crisis that many people weren't talking as much about many years ago. And I, I wanted to, and I thought that I had a unique set of skills. I was a licensed planner, engineer, and I was a, a construction buff, a contractor guy, you know, like that. I thought I could make an impact. And so pretty much I'm a, I'm a civil engineer, traffic engineer, turned turned a green affordable housing uh builder if you will so <laughs> pretty wild well, really <laughs> maybe let's start there just for briefly what yeah. does you you mentioned you're a civil engineer you you worked with a lot of like traffic studies etc yeah maybe just help educate the folks like what are what is the role of a civil engineer typically in real estate development and how right. early so do you need to engage most people know that civil engineers and architects they design homes and so forth right so similarly uh with with land someone has to de design the site as well i mean you have a you know subdivision the water has to go somewhere the roads have to uh, have certain amount of uh width and these type of things so that's what civil engineers design also you when you build a project you have a certain amount of uh impacts that you generate environmental impacts you generate more traffic and so forth so that's where being a traffic engineer we assess those impacts and um you know look to mitigate them and improve them yeah so that's what we were doing and then uh, as a planner a town planner or a city planner there are certain zoning criteria and uh requirements and procedures policy that cities and counties and municipalities have that have to be followed to get a permit to develop a project so i was assisting developers with that and uh, i saw a wide array of projects um and it was it was very cool and probably that motivated me to become a developer myself yeah <laughs> well that's interesting that you talked about all those things like you talk about zoning you talk about environmental impacts and traffic did yes. you have to know all of that as a civil engineer role, or did you specialize in traffic and then, then you I, I specialized, I, I specialized in, in traffic, but within traffic, obviously you have to 
you, you, if you build a road, you're going to have environmental impacts, so you're going to have soil impacts. Mm. Um, so a lot of these things are transferable skill sets to the developer arena. A developer putting an, uh, a private structure or a shopping center or something like that has to similarly deal with those type of things. He ha- he, he or she has to deal with zoning requirements, just like you would with uh, uh, you know, a roadway project or whatever it is. But um, the the key thing for uh, for me though, why I got into moved from being civil engineer to being developer is I was accumulating skill sets. I was improving skill sets, and I, I realized that you know my skill sets made me very well suited to be a developer. And I had a, a client who I'd worked with for ten years, who was a friend and became a mentor. And he encouraged me. He encouraged me to uh, to to be, you know, get into this and be a developer and so forth and make an impact. Um, and, and, and in fact, that's true. Uh, I probably am a function of several, several, several mentors in my life that encouraged me to to do this and be here. Yep. Oh man, I mean that's so great. I love the impact that your mentors have and how they push you. Sometimes, like you and I were just talking about right before this, it's being in the right rooms and being encouraged and inspired by the right folks that makes such a big difference on you. And uh, well, we've much, seen how much far like you yourself, up. man, much like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's yeah. talk about the projects that you're working on right now. Tell us a little bit about the projects that you're working on. Like what do they entail and where are they in terms of the pro the progress? So first of all, my company's EcoVision Homes, our, our spin and development is we're a green workforce housing developer so we say the work term workforce affordable so on we say green because we try to be energy efficient and and water efficient if you will um we try to be climate uh, resilient weather resilient um all these sort of things that are sort of buzzwords we were working on for last four or five years um to conceptualize a company that can address many of those issues that we have so um currently we're working on four subdivisions uh pretty much uh, over 500 units our focus personally right now coincidentally and by design is townhome projects um townhomes give a little bit more density than single family um but it also you uh, a family can own a townhome and our part of our you know goal is to encourage home ownership help that american dream of home ownership and so townhomes allow us to do that uh we like apartments we like single family too but seems like the property we've gravitated towards the most is townhomes uh, currently we're going through entitlements um and uh you know entitlements is always fun <laughs> well let's yeah. pause there what just entitlements right sometimes we hear these buzzwords we just talked about green and all that stuff uh, yeah. energy efficient climate resistant what does entitlements really mean help define absolutely. that for for the audience absolutely so uh entitlements uh, you know different locations in the country uh, different people use the term differently to mean different levels of permitting but typically uh, at least here in florida i'm in central florida it's a term that basically says hey if you have a parcel of land and it's quote unquote entitled or it has entitlements that means is it effectively uh ready for construction you, you know I mean, presumably you can go get a construction loan and you can go build that project 
right? So it's per, it's a permitted project. T typically, that's what we say, what we, you know, use the term entitlements for. Uh, and um, there are different levels of entitlements, honestly. Well, let's go through. Well, first of all, let me pause there. And I think the, for the audience, I really want them to understand Sometimes you might look at like land and they will say like, hey, this is an approved project. What you really need to do as an audience member is you need to go ask them, hey, what do you have entitlements for? What do you mean by approved? Like this Absolutely. is where the details really matter. Uh, so let's yeah. kind of get into the different levels of entitlements that you were about to refer to. Absolutely. So a lot of times we see vacant property and we say, hey, that's a great property for a project, right? But the feasibility or the viability of a building there um, you, you has uh, certain layers that have to be thought through. For example, I saw a project the other day. There was a very nice site plan, very pretty colors, looked very nice. But there were no utilities in the area, meaning that there was no water, there was no sewer. So for a project of that size, you're gonna need for, you're gonna need a water supply. You need pipe water. Uh, so. So really, even though you had a nice picture, that project could not probably get approvals or entitlements. Approvals is probably a good word for entitlements um, uh, to be constructed. Somehow you have to figure out that water. You have to, you know, build a, a water supply main into the property um, to do that. So uh, there is, I always think about it as there are three levels of entitlements. Typically, there's planning entitlements engineering entitlements and i i consider construction a type construction permit and a type of entitlements um a type of approval if anything so and i can kind of break down the what is a planning entitlement versus what is an engineering entitlement so let's do so, it let's do it <laughs> i love how educational this is already <laughs> hopefully not too bored but okay so planning uh typically when we say planning we say future land use we say zoning uh, I think of that as a softer side of it, um, of entitlements. That's sort of like you're, you're looking at the forest and you're saying, hey, this forest or this parcel is this meeting all of the requirements that the jurisdiction, the city or the county has identified for this property. Is this a valid use of this property? So, for example, we always hear the term zoning. Um, so we may say here the term, hey, is this property zoned for residential or is it zoned for office or whatever? So typically that parcel land that a developer may want to develop has to have consistent zoning, which is, we'll talk about zoning later, which allows it to be developed per that quote unquote zone. Engineering is some of the things I mentioned about uh you know, uh, the grading of the, the site, the stormwater, uh, drainage aspects of the site, um, uh, as well as uh, layout of roads and so forth, which are more, if you if you could imagine more harder details, right? So you're you're now looking at the trees a little bit more, right? So you that's engineering entitlements. And construction, right? Construction is actually the, the activities related to building horizontal and vertical, building, building the buildings, right? Building the site. Uh, but, you, you know, you can give a, a contractor a picture or, or a drawing of uh, with limited detail for them to go build. They need to know, uh, you know, what code things they have to build for, what was the height and 
different things, what are dimensional requirements. And so that's where uh, there's construction level documents. Uh, so therefore more detail um, that has to be had to, to be able to develop that property. Um, having all three, planning, engineering, and construction entitlements, allows a project to be considered shovel-ready or ready for construction, ready to be built. Yeah. I love how you broke all that down. There's planning, <laughs> there's engineering, there's construction, right? And then within each one, there's almost like deliverables. So yes. let's dive a little bit deeper because... I think sure. part of the reason why people love this podcast, like we get into the details, it's not just conceptual. So for to yeah. get your planning entitlements, you yeah. talked a little bit about zoning. Zoning, yeah. if you had to rezone the property from residential to multifamily, that needs to be done before you get your planning entitlements, correct? Yes, absolutely. Well, the first thing we tend to look at, well, amongst many other things, is mm-hmm. something they call future land use. Uh, there's Typically, many municipalities, counties have a future land use map. It's a map of the jurisdiction identifying which areas are going to be, are, are supposed to be over the next, from now for the next 20 years, how the area will develop or stay undeveloped, for example. So uh, future land use might indicate that, hey, the city has made a sort of a decision with consultation with residents and other stakeholders that a particular area is zoned residential whereas an adjacent area is zoned office industrial right um but you you know so that's a that's a specific zone in there yeah now we can we can um so that's 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 uh that's 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 very very critical to understand future land use which is which is a even bigger picture. Now you're not even looking at the forest. You're 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 a much much higher view. You're the Google Google Maps view looking down, <laughs> right? Well, I love to kind of get your point of view here on like, well, how do investors or listeners find out about where the opportunity is? Right? Sometimes it could be as simple as going to the county website and looking up like what are they planning to do with it? Because then now all of a sudden you might say, hey, if I know a big yeah. roadway is going there. I should probably think about how do I buy some properties around there. Right, Any sort of right. advice like that that you have for folks on how they would look for opportunities? Well, the, the, we we tend to focus on infill development. Part of our strategy is, uh, you know, we are trying to be more environmentally conscious and so forth. There, There's plenty of in, infill projects. So we tend to look at projects that are, you know, within a built-up area. There are utilities. There are many reasons for that. Um one one of the things that we tend to run into is hey there's a wonderful piece of property that looks like a prime spot for a subdivision but the city's future land use may have identified that as a green buffer area or a open space or agricultural and that's because maybe the city or the county wants to maintain some greenery in the area or something. Maybe there's some environmental resource like a stream or something there that they're trying to protect a little bit and buffer. So, uh, so yeah, so what we, what we tend to use future land use maps for, uh, is where we shouldn't target for development. That's you know, because, a great point. I love that yeah. one. If you go and look at a piece of property and you you want to build homes, we're we're talking affordable housing here, and you see that it's the future land use is uh, industrial, while you can do a future land use amendment, mm-hmm. typically that's a little bit more difficult process, even more difficult than rezone. 
but you can Man. do it. You can, you can do it. But, uh, personally, we try to avoid it. Um, we just, we want to work with how the city and their stakeholders have determined the, the, the area should grow. Got it. And it's, it's, I think the point to take away from here is, don't really try to run uphill on a battle and and push against what everybody has already decided. It's kind of like trying to change someone's decision after they've already decided. And that's yeah. extremely, extremely hard. Um, but if you are trying to go through a rezoning process, who might you engage on that? Is it like a land use attorney vast? Like who would you engage to help with any sort of rezoning stuff? Well, it really depends on the process that the city and or county the jurisdiction has in place there is a county in here uh, around in central florida osceola county they typically can rezone property providing the future land use is consistent relatively quickly uh, i would say 60 to 90 days start to finish um it's what we've seen uh, in the past um, however if we're looking to do a rezone that's you know uh, really impactful or or not consistent with the, uh, you know, maybe we want to deviate from the zoning requirements or so, something like that, then that process can be more difficult. Um, a good example is that if, if a developer, potentially affordable housing developer, would like to get more density on a piece of property because that would allow them to have a lower development cost per unit, now, they may, now if that density deviates, there may be a more tougher road for rezone and that's where an attorney or consultants and so forth come into play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. No, I, I really like that. Um, so we just talked a lot about entitlements and rezoning. What, yeah. how long does this take? Cause that's usually the number one question I get from people yeah. and, and it's yeah. always going to depend, but give us, give us some ranges because we talked about rezoning. We talked about right. planning entitlements, engineering entitlements, construction entitlements. Walk us through how long so, these might take, and then let's go you know, through it. If, if, if you have all your ducks in a row and you have a very expeditious uh, uh, city staff, county staff, you know six months is probably a good estimate on time. Depends on the size of your project. I mean, if you're doing a, a few homes... And it's straight zoning, and then there's no zoning change, and it's just submitting building plans, which is the more the more the construction entitlement aspect of things. Then you know maybe maybe sixty days. Um, if you're doing a big subdivision, and then there's environmental impacts, and you have to get uh, uh, environmental resource permits, and different agencies you know have to put in, you may be a year and a half. Okay, um, on very big projects, it can be much more than that. You know, yep. And so land development that's, that's also yeah. worth like city support and local support and resident support and oh and yeah I think those are very very important factors yes. when it comes to development <laughs> you know affordable housing developers uh, and i've had these as clients face situations where when you're doing things like section 8 housing and low-income housing and so forth a lot of neighbors and communities even senior housing they do not want that type of a development in your area and you have a lot of uh not in my backyard um uh you know uh, vocal um opponents to, to that type of thing and that could prolong your entitlement period your entitlement pursuit because maybe you have to go back to the drawing board update your drawings change make changes uh, we face that too as well um 
a lot of times it produces a better product that everyone can be happy about, uh, but it doesn't, it could take longer. Yeah. And I think that's why as part of your due diligence process, not only are you looking at the, the future planning and land use for your city and county, but the local climate and support for development is going to be so important, not only from the local politicians, but you also need to understand from the residents in the area, how do they feel about developments? Like, do they care about traffic a lot? Uh, I've known projects that where they might have had some local support from the planning and zoning committees, but all of a sudden when they went to the public hearings, it went in a complete uproar. And some of these big projects, they, they get shut down really quick. And you might have not... I don't want to say the word waste, but sometimes there's a very, oh, yeah. very big risk that you will yeah. spend all that money for no for yeah. nothing. Yeah, it's it's time, it's time and money. And uh I would say land development is there, you know, it's not a home run. You know, you gotta it's a process. Uh, it's a step by step process and and um there's no guarantees a lot of times. However, uh slight segue, I think affordable housing it has become such an issue nationally that if you're doing an affordable housing project or specifically a workforce housing project you tend to have a fair amount of support in my opinion uh, from many stakeholders if you do it the right way you know if you yeah if you're doing it the right way and we yeah, can get I into that later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love. Uh, maybe let's get into it now because I think it's so important, especially during these public hearings, that you truly identify and tell folks like, "Hey, this project is for workforce housing. It's people that are the teachers, uh, firefighters, EMTs, absolutely, um, yeah. people that are working in our restaurants, people that are truly essential to the workforce and the livelihood of a city and county, just to make it operate." It's like yeah. there's so many people, so many uh, people in the workforce that requires a home that's pretty close. Like I talked to someone in a call center the other day and I said, hey, how, how's your commute? And she says she has to drive an hour and a half to her call center every single yeah. day because she can't afford to live anywhere closer. That's wild. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. It's wild. Yeah, it's and it was just someone randomly I was talking to on the phone. I was like, hey, how's yeah. your day going? But these situations probably happen more often than we think just because we might be in a pretty good position ourselves does not mean that situation is applicable to everybody else in the world. And well, I think, I, go ahead. Yeah. I always say, you know, it's as it's a affordability is a crisis. Um, I saw some recent data. I believe it was that uh, definitely since COVID, we had less construction that's put pressure on supply of homes. Uh, you had increased um, interest rates, which has put price on purchase people able to buy a home. So that has caused affordability to be at one of the lowest has ever been. And so, so to now, I uh, now mortgage payments are 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 higher. So uh, the medium income or something like that to afford to buy a home on average in the U.S. is one hundred and fifteen thousand, which. Which is a pretty, <laughs> you mean you have to have a six figure income uh, to afford a home, which, you know, largely we know, you know, many Americans do not have that situation. You know, uh, you know, it, uh, I mean, it's, it's a tough thing. So, but getting back to your question on, um, on this, this, 
this sentiment of that that's sometimes affordable housing developers face which is a, which is a, a, a big deal frankly you know one of the arguments whether no matter which way which way you you believe uh, these things go is that um you know it's okay for someone that has a home and otherwise be pretty comfortable in their home uh maybe they bought it many years ago when prices were a little bit lower it's it's easy for them to say hey we don't want that affordable housing project near our neighborhood it's easy for them to say that you know but part of being a good neighbor in my opinion if you if you say you're gonna a good neighbor isn't it also being a good neighbor to future homeowners that want to come and enjoy your neighborhood uh in the area that you're in um and the truth is what a lot of people don't realize the affordable housing is not a situation which is just means very low income people these are professional folks today uh middle income america that can no longer are priced out of owning a home this is these are regular you know very safe uh law-abiding good people that would like to come live in your neighborhood so that's that's a key argument there um you know uh sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't frankly um but anyway right my I, advice, I think it just depends yeah. on like the education mm -hmm. of folks right and you're educating uh the neighborhood about like hey we're not building sometimes there's a stigma associated with affordable housing that's like hey it's guns drugs drama you're building right. a project and that's Absolutely. not what we're doing um this is no. workforce yeah. housing this is for folks that actually have jobs and they are working really hard just like uh my parents yeah. who who needed a place they their first job was making three dollars an hour right um, and nowadays in boston uh where i grew up i think i saw some report out there where like average down payment to buy a home uh for the 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 a median home or something like that is hundred thirty thousand dollars not a lot of people can wow. save up a hundred thirty yeah, grand yeah <laughs> and sometimes the income now to buy a home is like 200 grand for your household so not only is it six figures it's like 200 grand for the household right right it's it's a very hard just to be able to own a home <laughs> very, this very is hard. this is insane yeah yeah so the thing it's is, yeah affordable housing or a ho owning a home the reason why first of all i'm an immigrant I, I i grew up in the caribbean moved here and everything but you know an american dream that it, you know it, uh, the rest of the world appreciates america for and looks up to america and envies america that that american dream is on the trip on the trend the white picket fence you know uh, owning your own home and uh you know wonderful stuff here this this is this is no longer the reality and um you know this is where me and you and your audience looks to look to try to make a difference here yeah so yeah yeah. So this has been really, really a great conversation so far. I want to get back to, we talked a little bit about the zoning, right? So yeah. we hear about conditional use permits. Um, yes. Can you give us some examples of when you might get like a conditional use permit and some examples of why you would get one? Oh, yeah. I got a great example. We're doing a project right now. We just mm -hmm. got the conditional use uh, approval from the zoning board. We were fortunate to get a unanimous approval um, from all, all the I think it was five members of the zoning board. What that was is, uh, you know, it's a basically a permit approval to develop a property contingent on a, cer a certain set of specifications. 
So the city or the county is basically saying, hey, look, we'll let you approve this property. You're you're asking, you're, you're, you're going to be developing in a way that is going to deviate from the the zoning on the property. Oh, Bass, did your but, mic just go out? One second, check your mic. Did it go up? There we go, you're back. All right, you're back. Oh, okay. You want me to go over that again? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, please go through that again. For some I reason, forgot, I forget that we're recording here. That <laughs> 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 we good. can pause and we're not live. Yeah. So, okay, um, you asked a question about the conditional use permit, right? So I'll, I'll start over. So a conditional use permit is uh, basically an approval on a property, parcel land, what have you, for development contingent on a certain set of spe specifications. So we're we're having one. Uh, we we just got conditional use um, permit approval on one of our projects. We were fortunate to get approval. Uh, all five members of the zoning um, commission board gave uh, gave us unanimous approval. So we're developing a property that we're we're deviating slightly from some from some zoning uh, specifications, i.e., setbacks and so forth. Um, we have a valid reason that why we're doing so, and uh, and so they're saying, okay, this is not this is not enough enough of a deviation to require a rezone or something like that. So we're gonna give you approval, but it's approval with conditions. Uh, you have to meet these conditions as part of your design of your project. Yeah. Got us. Give us an example of like what that valid reason was and what were just like one or two of those conditions that you had to meet, just so I can make it real for the listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on our site, we had um, normally the city has a requirement that adjacent to other um, other buildings, other uh, adjacent to the neighbors, we have to have a 10 foot border, uh, basically a 10 foot buffer space before we start to have any construction roadways homes whatever have you uh, in our case we were nine feet so we had a slight deviation there so they said hey look you know nine feet is still is a deviation but it's a small deviation we're going to allow it but we need you to make sure you fence the property and comply with these other things and landscape a certain way so they gave the approval but they also had some conditions as an example yeah. But I love that example, Vaz, yeah. because yeah. for people that might be thinking like, oh, it's just one foot, they're not going to care. You better ask and you better bring it up because you can't right. make those assumptions. So this is this is something we're also developing a few a few homes right in a row. And uh, to make the home on one of the properties be more affordable we're asking from a, a deviation from one of the setbacks from 15 feet to 13 feet uh doesn't really affect a lot you know it's a it's it's a non it's not a big issue but that allows us to provide a more affordable product to uh, out there to the market um i think actually that's one of the key things affordable housing developers can ask the city say could you could we do this through conditional use instead of rezone you know uh, also it's a little bit of an art to try to fit your project without devi deviating from you know largely from design criteria and zoning criteria 
um, so that you don't have to go through a rezone and you can keep it at a conditional use permit stage. Yeah, and I love those examples because sometimes if you're an experienced developer and you have been building your buildings a certain way, whether that's like a specific style, uh, sometimes yeah. it's easier to just simply like follow what you know has worked so far for your builders and your design right. plans, etc., and help articulate that story well to the planning yep. and zoning boards. And I think that's yep. gonna be really, really important. Um, Let's talk about. So, would you consider that as like sort of like a variance? So, like, what is the difference between a variance and a condition use permit? So a variance is probably a, a single item, uh, mm. you know, it's just like a deviation specifically, maybe from a setback requirement. Uh, you know, most of your listeners probably are familiar with setbacks, um, but it's a distance from property line to the state of the building setback. So a variance is if you deviate from what the county standard is or the city standard. The conditional use permit is probably best described as if you have many of such variances in a in a larger site and they have to approve it and they just approve it via conditional use rather than do a, Z, a rezone of that whole big property so variance is probably one conditional use includes many man you should be a professor dude like you, oh, you no, no. explain this <laughs> so well um you, you really are you really explain it so well because this vocabulary, man, it's sometimes it's just so scary in and of itself when people is like, they hear condition use permits, they hear entitlement zoning or variances. They're like, it's just all over someone's head. And you just explain that really, really clearly and really. Well, just, just remember, uh, you know, even though I'm an engineer, zoning and so forth is the realm of planners. So I had to learn that. But guess what? You go through it once, you will learn it. And it's the same most every which place in the US. So the terms may change slightly. Uh, but just knowing the questions you can ask and, and the truth is, knowledgeable city and planning staff, city and county staff can advise very quickly, you know, you come in there and say, Hey, I want to build a five story structure on this property. They're, and they will tell you, Hey, well, <laughs> you know, that's not going to meet zoning, you're going to have a hard time, they may not be able to tell you don't do it. But they'll they'll indicate to you that hey you might be barking up the wrong tree there you know yeah yeah <laughs> uh, that's exactly right um, so maybe let's talk a little about we just talked about condition use variances where you're kind of deviating a little bit where you, you might yeah. be doing something different but how about addressing concerns from the community because we talked a lot about like not in my backyards and stuff like that Tell yeah. us about, yeah. give us like one or two let's do two examples well, we, some some opposition from the community and how did you listen to them and address those concerns we we touched and ba touched base on that a little bit yes that's for sure a little bit early in the conversation but the key term we use and i've always used in my career is consensus building and you know when you're doing a project um especially a project that may impact others we term them as stakeholders so everyone is a stakeholder in the project the city is a stakeholder because uh, uh, you know long term they have to live with your property in that in their community the neighbors are stakeholders environmental folks are stakeholders etc cetera, etc cetera. so ideally you want to develop projects that you know take into account uh the viewpoints of your stakeholders so if you have a valid reason for doing a development um, you know, for example, this development may bring significant jobs needed to the area. 
and there is an environmental impact, there are ways to try to mitigate that impact. And sometimes working with your stakeholders early in a consensus, to build a consensus solution to their concerns is is largely historically and widely used as the approach uh, to address community concerns. Now, sometimes as a developer, you may not be able to meet those community concerns. So for example, the residents that just don't want your community in their backyard, the, the NIMBYs as it not in my backyard folks. And it doesn't matter what you do, you can make that project less dense, you can do whatever you want to do, make it very beautiful, they just do not want it. And there's no consensus there. Ideally, as a developer, you know, looking to do good projects, ideally you try to find locations where you don't have that sentiment. It'll save you a lot of problems. And if you do have that sentiment, involve your stakeholders early to get them on board and also be willing to negotiate, be willing to be flexible. Yeah. So, so Baz, you're, you're so good with traffic. So let's talk about it, right? You must oh, have gotten some opposition about traffic. We don't have to go that deep, but give us like one or two examples of people that have complained about traffic or brought up traffic and how do you alleviate those concerns? <laughs> Well, everyone complains about traffic. You know, I still, I still, you know, uh, consult to developers on traffic as well. And, uh, you know, traffic is always a problem in many areas. And you're, you're this developer, you're going to come in and bring more traffic. So people are not going to like it. People are going to complain. Uh, but also the maintaining agency, the, the, the DOT, the city that maintains that roadway. They also want to make make sure you you address the impacts that you're going to make, right? So that is part of your due diligence. So we didn't really touch on due diligence that much, but due diligence due diligence is a very key step in the whole land development process. So as part of your due diligence, you're going to check: Hey, is is there sufficient traffic capacity on the roadway to meet to, to accommodate my my proposed project? Are the neighbors uh, going to be resistant to this project? Are there environmental impacts that are really substantial that you know uh, maybe maybe I, I may not be able to get this project permitted um, and so forth? So that's how uh, you know we we th these are the issues now from a from business standpoint. Honestly, we have been targeting in infill development projects personally. Um, and infill develop development projects are uh, projects that are largely in the developed area, but they so happen to be a parcel of land that was not developed for some reason in the past. Maybe the owners never developed it. And so we target those projects because for us, we're looking to, I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of times those locations are where affordable housing is needed. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes, sir. It absolutely does because in those areas, you're already in an area where there's population where likely there's some jobs and there is yeah. some services that are support where that can services, be jobs, people. Yeah, exactly. And all the public transportation. So when we talked a lot about traffic earlier, did you add more lanes? Did you like not put any left turn only lanes? Like I, I just want to make sure I give a tactical example uh -huh. to the audience. I've like, worked I've worked on a lot of projects where yes, turn lanes were necessary, 
um, traffic lights were necessary, interchanges mm -hmm. were necessary. So these are all things to reduce the traffic congestion of the area. Um, so, so, you know, having a good traffic engineer that can help you anticipate and deal with these things. Developers resist these improvements because they cost money. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, money impacts the overall bottom line of the project. So ideally, planning your project, doing, evaluating your project, underwriting your project to understand those issues is, is a big part of being a developer. Yep. Interesting. What, so I imagine there's some back and forth, right? With the transportation department, like, hey, we need to build traffic lights here or whatever, right? Yes. What, people love hearing numbers. Like what, if you as a developer have to put in like traffic lights, what does that really cost? Like uh, right so here in Florida, because of the hurricanes, you know, um, we have to build more substantial structures. Uh, we typically would have a price. It's a bit of a range, but we're about 300,000 to 500,000 uh, for a traffic light, um, typically. And it could be, depends on the size of the roadway. It could be more in the upper end of that 500,000. So if you can imagine half a million dollars, um, especially what? if you didn't plan for it, could could uh, could be quite substantial. If you to have a big- one, To add one intersection with traffic lights, three to 500 grand. No, wow. no in, in other <laughs> states where there are no hurricanes, maybe it's a lot less, right? But we have to build- these very substantial foundations mm. so that when the if a hurricane rolls through, the traffic lights don't blow down and all that sort right. of stuff. Right. That's yeah. uns that's unsafe, right? That makes a lot of yes. sense. So yep. Yep. that's really good. Like that's probably the most expensive type of traffic uh remedy, I want to call it, yes. that you had to put in. But if you're just yep. adding an extra lane or something like that, then that's where you might have a little bit so lower costs. Ten to thirty thousand, uh, depending on several things, you know, to, to add a turn lane. It's not um sometimes a lot of those times those turn lanes are for safety you know mm. safety aspects of things so um it's probably a good thing for you to do it'll actually help your project hey by the way a lot of uh retail developers love to love traffic lights because if they get a traffic light it makes their intersection oh. more visible and substantial which improves traffic to their business literally and figuratively <laughs> Dude, that makes a lot of sense because they're like, was, hey, if someone stops at a red light, they can look to the stores to the right or the left. And now all of a sudden you see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, because their, their entrance becomes a main access now. So versus, you know, just, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing some of that stuff because I never knew a traffic light might have cost 300, 500 grand in Florida, uh, but it makes a ton of sense. We don't want traffic lights flying around when a hurricane swings by. Uh, yep. It makes perfect sense. Uh, how about some environmental impact issues that might come up during development? Have you run across any of those issues? Well, on our, yes, projects, how you deal with them? on our projects so far, again, we're targeting these infill brownfield type sites that have previously disturbed or something like that. And um, uh, I shouldn't say brownfield because there's a contamination uh, note associated with that. But anyway, but these are previously impacted or cleared sites and so forth. So they they tend to we we try to stay away from wetlands and you know uh, what do you call threatened endangered species. We try to stay away from those as much as possible. So that's kind of our 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 uh, our target uh, of, of for for our projects. But um, for on other projects that I've done as a consultant and so forth. 
I think if I were to pick it up where I, where from that point onwards, you need to engage environmental specialists for yes. those issues. So environmental stuff might have be like we've had a project with a gas station that was previously there. So you might have to figure out. Do you need to move dirt out and bring in new dirt, right? And then you got to mm-hmm. see how far do you got to dig in? Is it five feet, 10 feet, 20 yep. feet? How far is the contamination and what's the remedy for that cost? Um, yes. We talked really quickly about environmental like wetlands and, and any endangered species. You would have to engage, what, what would they be called? Environmental engineers or yeah, environmental it's a, specialists? In, okay, so so when you're dealing with these, these uh, environmental issues, you engage in environmental scientists. And it's usually someone that's you know trained, educated, and and uh, and licensed, if you will, in in that area. Um, and environmental scientists range from folks that can just tell you, "Hey, here's your issue," and then they have others that are actually licensed and uh, authorized to deal with the issue, remediate the issue. For example, if it was um, if it was a certain type of animal or something on your property that's uh, protected. They may relocate that animal to a, to another location safely within the rule book. Um, if it's a contamination site where you may have an issue, you you, you may engage with someone who a company that can uh, repair and and remediate that site, clear it, uh, test it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, these are issues that developers face. They are they can be solvable. But as anything, there's a cost. So you have to factor in your cost to your to your project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love that you guys say you got factoring the cost or contingency because guys, there's always going to be things that you can't see with the naked eye. Like you can't Absolutely. tell if something is contaminated soil. It just looks like dirt. It's like yeah. until you start testing it, you you actually don't really know what's going on. So no, no. No, no. Make yeah. sure you put it in there. Just like when you're buying a single family home and you have to do an inspection and you know that inspection report is probably yeah. going to find something that you can't tell underneath those beautiful finishes and those beautiful kitchen counters. You never know what's going on. Um, well, guys, I want to talk about horizontal work and vertical work because we talked a lot about the entitlements earlier. Can you help yeah. define for the audience what is the difference between horizontal work versus oh, vertical work? Yeah, so horizontal is the site grading, the roads, the utilities, everything you see flat on the ground. And then everything vertical is the buildings upwards. Um, so, you know, uh, homes, apartments, you know, retail, whatever have you, that's the vertical. So some, some, sometimes you hear about a horizontal contractor. And he's the he or she is the person that does all the grading of the and builds the roads and the, and the utilities is under the under the ground or on the ground, and then you hear about a, a regular contractor who typically would build the buildings, build the homes, and so on. Yeah, <laughs> got it. And then from a sequencing perspective, like when does horizontal work start? Is it typically after the planning entitlements, engineering entitlements, construction entitlements? Uh, what that's is a, kind of that's an interesting question. So typically here in Florida, they do the horizontal first. Um, there are a few reasons for that, but uh, they build the roads and then they put, they, they they grade the the building pads to put in the the homes and so forth. Funnily enough, in other locations, um, they build the homes first and then they put in the roads. And there there are other reasons for that. Um, and one of the big reasons is that a lot of times you want to. You want to pre-sell homes before you spend all the money to do the horizontal construction. So that's an interesting concept. I've never seen that done in Florida so far, 
but in other other areas they do that which is which is quite interesting <laughs> that's interesting so they're pre-selling the homes probably to raise and use the capital to pay for the road the i'm work. guessing yeah yeah ah yeah. you can't pre-sell roads right <laughs> so that's, that's interesting. true yeah. that's very interesting i never heard about it explained in that way but it sounds like well, even if to do the horizontal work, you still need approvals from folks, right? You, yeah, you still need period. approvals from the city to say, "Hey, yes, you can connect to our sewer system. You can connect to the water system." Um, yeah, horizontal work like we're putting in two detention ponds for our four hundred unit buildings that we're building in in Texas right now. Yeah, and so when the rain like, falls, the water goes there. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, you gotta have a place to store the water because not. It, it can't necessarily all go to the storm park, in your case you would have a parking lot right you would have a parking lot that's that's part of horizontal construction you know so that's mm -hmm. yeah, uh yeah it's a, we can we can have a couple thoughts on the, <laughs> the cost of it but um yeah so <laughs> oh this is interesting well let's let's get into what your company does because you talked about the 500 townhomes you're you're building right like yeah. what what does your company offer for clients so first thing again is we you know we are just we are trying to address an affordable housing issue right that's real simple and to do that we felt we had to be a vertically integrated company so we had to have a lot of skill sets in-house uh so that we can leverage those skill sets and create a value that we can pass along to our clients, ultimately homeowners and tenants and so forth. Um, so, so I think, I think that's one of the key differentiators with us personally. I also think that our model for affordable housing in, in general, the way we build the design, um, and so forth, uh, we have some unique things we do in our buildings and, and whatnot allows us to develop, uh, uh we think we're pretty cost effectively. And again, we thought that was necessary to develop those those building systems and so forth because we're trying to pass the savings along to our end user clients. Yeah. Got it. So if someone's trying to do a development or someone says, I want to invest in now to be super clear, full disclaimer, just not a solicitation for investments. Mm -hmm. This all yeah. the information on this podcast has been educational and informational and only for entertainment purposes only i have to make sure i get the disclaimer out but what can you guys offer in terms of like consulting for clients because you guys just mentioned you have like whole in-house team that's vertically integrated so just curious sure, to sure. care about what you guys can offer potential clients or other clients well you know at the end of the day much of what i talked about um here which is engineering consulting and so forth we we do assist other other uh developers with those type of services mm. um and uh you know we mainly though we're looking to connect with people who want to make an impact in this affordable housing workforce housing green housing area right so we've we've we love to network with folks that are looking to do tiny homes perhaps we may not do tiny homes but we love to learn and and uh and help in any way um we looked we we talked to apartment developers as well um we, you know all all those things are things that we're interested in again key we're look, just looking to connect with people that want to make an impact and once once you have that mindset it's easy to find synergy yeah yeah i love that vaz and um <laughs> 
you know that's what connected with you man <laughs> yeah exactly that's why we're having you on a podcast and you you were just such a wealth of knowledge and with your experience and just with like the sheer knowledge and mastery i think that's part of the best word that i would describe is like your ability to get your costs down so low and be on an expedited timeline because of your like well, years and years of experience again i think you're being very generous but i think it's <laughs> it's we just tr we just try to we, we're trying to outwork our, our mm. we try to outwork the industry in at a very uh granular level that's really all it is <laughs> You know, sometimes it's the attention to details yeah. that makes a difference, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, hey, Vaz, what this we get this question all the time. I'm curious to hear your thought. When it comes to development, yeah. what what do you consider to be a deal, quote unquote? Because that's like I, the magic I question. I tell you. So we first of all we underwrite like everyone underwrites project cost, revenue, risk. Um, we, we like to underwrite this term called synergy. I mentioned earlier energy, you know, energy is very important. So synergy is very important. So what I mean by that is we underwrite to synergy. Hey, we're not going to get involved in a project if, if the pathway to entitlements looks very difficult. There's this not, there's not synergy for what we want. We are not going to get involved in, in a project if we can avoid it where there's tr tremendous, uh, neighborhood resistance to that project because it's just again uh it just it takes energy from us you know so we do have a buy box we we have tried to use a lot of ai tools and so forth um but our ideal deal is the deal that meets our you know revenue requirements and no order our impact requirements our sustainable requirements and that is our fundamentally our the buy box we look for yeah you know and is that like a certain percentage return like irr uh cash and cash return do you guys have some, like minimum criteria like that for your invested capital um you know typically investors uh you know in the industry target you know typically typically everyone targets uh you know real estate wise and say hey i have to double my money in five years right so so we don't we look we we have very good returns for our investors I think our model was created to to make investors uh, return as well as do uh, as well as help address an affordable housing issue. Um, we don't have a specific target return, um, but our returns, I can tell you, are I would think very strong, um, and we hope to be able to deliver. I, I, it's tough for me. Look, uh, can honestly, it's tough for me to discuss returns, um, and this this is. I'm happy to say this to anyone, but returns are a thing where there's so much uh, to work out in land development um, that so many things can go wrong, but we do have target returns that are strong. Yeah. No, and that makes perfect sense because yeah. these are projected returns, right? When, you, when yeah. you're dealing with large multifamily projects, you never know where the cap rate is going to be yes. in three, five, yes. seven years. And that will significantly, significantly yeah. affect the value of your property even though you might be doing everything correctly and you're, yeah. you're managing the property well and producing great net operating incomes there's just some things that's going to be out of your control absolutely um hey hey kent i just realized i do have an appointment i gotta drive to again but i don't know i think we're our last question but uh i sorry to cut you but uh i don't know if yeah. you had any last, last well i only last. have one more question it's a question sure, I go for everybody it. else go for why sure. do you think affordable housing 
particularly the lack of supply is so hard to solve for? That's the question I've been asking everybody on a podcast. So curious to hear oh, your boy. perspective on that. Oh boy. Well, I may ups- I'm trying to be very diplomatic when I say this, but honestly, Kent, the reason why we have an affordable housing problem in the US, um, but it's not just the US, it's many parts of the world. So, but one of the reasons why fundamentally is we have we had an escalation in home price and a pretty much a flat line in in uh average medium income practically that's that is a disparity if 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 household income had kept up with home price increase then homes would be a, a, affordable even though they cost more the issue is there's a disparity so why is there a disparity um comes down to the fact that you know it's come down to supply and demand it can come comes down to very s- simple things that are debatable for example uh you know as a country for decades we prioritized a college education versus trade school so we have less builders and contractors um and we also you know as a manufacturing country we manufacture less things so it causes uh innovation in home building techniques and construction methods to uh uh you know at a, at a material level to not be there we also build very much the code because we're a very uh uh you know i don't know if i'm pronouncing this word right but you know we love to sue people here right we love to sue people so when you have a when you so builders build the code to avoid lawsuits well that that limits flexibility limits design innovation and so forth um we have socio-cultural issues right with uh with in fact as part of the ecovision strategy to address socio-cultural issues um that that limit uh limit um, upward mobility of underserved communities that's that's a fact um uh and uh it's not um, it's not necessarily done on purpose but it happens unfortunately so so and this is not necessarily a race thing or income but i think it's an income thing for sure and 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 it has a correlation to race so these are all the things that combined and the reason why affordable so if to start over and ask your question i would say the reason why there's an affordability housing issue a crisis in the, in the u.s is because to solve the problem would require so much multidisciplinary uh skill sets to unite and solve it that we have different elements that don't talk to each other right like so home builders do not specifically speak with uh social workers right that's not really a normal thing but guess what both of those stakeholders play a part in the whole affordability issue um but like many developing nations this has become a problem yeah it's just hey, that's what it that is, was yeah. that was a beautiful answer man because i think people <laughs> understand just how complicated this is some people have told me hey it's just a supply and demand problem no it's not there's also an income issue there's also a opportunity issue there's so yes. many different factors that affect us and that's yes. why we create our community right vast you're part of it wonderful we're trying to yeah. create the largest affordable housing investment community in the united states and that stems from people wanting that. to get involved in all yes. of the potential yes. issues everyone can get involved yeah. and everyone can solve the problem a different way well, so i would love to tell you more 
more about EcoVision and, and and specifically what is our how we're look, looking to take a multidisciplinary approach to affordable housing beyond just being better at building. You know, uh, we, we we we'll talk we'll talk about it. It's pretty. It's a pretty interesting deep dive, um, and uh, you know, no, I think let's do it. Let's do it. I think I'd be very interested to hear that. Um, hear about your company's mission a little bit more about all the different things yeah. that you're trying to affect because there's so many ways we can attack this problem and I think Absolutely. it's as long as our intentions are pure and we're yeah. out really out there to help people I think it will come through and then we'll naturally gravitate and attract more people to help to solve this problem with us and join well, the rally yeah so absolutely i mean you know there's the term karma there you know it's it's a big thing a lot of it a lot of it has to do with intent of the action right so this is this is i can't i must say i really enjoyed you know being here with you and uh you know i i hope i can impart a little bit of value to everyone i'm I'm not an expert and all these different things i'm just a a regular person that wanted to make a difference really that's all it is and i think fundamentally if more people, more and more people took that approach to affordable housing, we we can make an impact holistically all over the nation. Uh, we, we simply must, right? We simply must. And, uh, um, you know, again, I, I I said, hey, I'm an engineer, planner, and a contractor. Surely I can, I, I can make a difference. And that's really all it is. Yep. Man, fast. Thank you so much for coming on to her. Uh, thank you for all you do. Seriously, without people like you, my family and I would have never had the home I grew up in. Wow. So you are having a profound impact on so many families, man. Thank you so much for what you do. I'm so blessed to be able to meet people like you. Um, for people that want to get in touch with you or learn more about your company, Vaz, where can they find out more about you? I, I, you know, LinkedIn, just Google my name. I have a pretty unique name. <laughs> you know, uh link linkedin is great um you know uh, uh i'm also going to get pretty active in your facebook group so i say subscribe to ken's facebook group and you'll definitely see me in there you know being pretty active uh and i would love to meet and uh, coordinate with with the people love to be part of development projects um even if just in an advisory role uh let's make an impact together everyone let, let, let's do something about this problem um let's let's make it happen you know let's go yeah. let's go let's I, I love your attitude i love it thank mm -hmm. you so much for coming on thank you for sharing for so much value with everybody and educating them on a college level course in less than an hour i appreciate oh you so much man <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you so and much man thank you so much and we are out there